Welcome to Fast Asleep, listeners. Whether you're here to embark on a beautiful night's sleep or just listen to an exceptional story, it's nice to have you with us. Ready for the conclusion to yesterday's episode? Maybe it was yesterday for you. Maybe it was another day. Elizabeth Parsons, or Elizabeth Parsons Warner, our author, is still a mystery. A mystery to all of us. Apparently several bloggers as well who found this story very enjoyable. I can tell you it was published, like so many of our choices, in the New Yorker magazine, this in 1946. Okay, let's finish it. So, tuck in and enjoy the nightingales sing. Joanna had known him, Phil that is, for years, but she realized looking at him in the yellow light that she knew almost nothing about him. Before this, he'd been Carol's elder brother, but here in the unfamiliar surroundings, he was somebody real. She looked away from his lighted face, surprised and wondering. He took his pipe out of his coat pocket and came to the sofa and sat down with a sigh of comfort, exactly like the dogs, sticking his long, thin, booted feet out to the fire, banishing the dark, making the fog retreat. Sandy came down the stairs and went toward the kitchen, and Phil called after him. Chris all right? Yes, Sandy said, going out. She's a little crazy, Phil said. Too much courage and no sense. But she's young. She'll settle down, maybe. Are she and Sandy engaged? Joanna asked. Well, no, said Phil. Uh, Sandy's got a wife. She stays in Texas. He paused to light his pipe, and then he said, Well, that's where he raises his horses, you know. This place is only sort of a uh, sales room. But he and Chris know each other pretty well. Well, this seemed obvious to Joanna, who said, Yes, I know. Phil smoked in silence. Doesn't his wife ever come here? Joanna asked after a moment. I don't think so, Phil answered. They could hear Sandy in the kitchen whistling and occasionally rattling pans. They heard the pump squeak as he worked the handle and the water splashed down into the black iron sink. Then he too came into the fire and said to Joanna, smiling down at her, Are you comfy and all? Oh, yes, she said and flushed with pleasure. I love your house, she managed to say. Well, I'm glad you do. It's kind of a barn of a place, but fine for the for the little I'm in it. He walked away, pulled the flowered curtains across the windows, and came back to stand before the fire. He looked very solid, small, and cheerful, with his shirt sleeves rolled up and his collar unbuttoned, and the printed tie loosened. He seemed to Joanna so smug and kind, so somehow sympathetic that, well, she could have leaned forward and hugged him round the knees. But 
at the idea of doing any such thing, she blushed again and bent to pat the dog. Sandy took up the guitar and tuned it lazily. He began playing absent-mindedly, his stubby fingers straying across the strings as he stared into the fire. Chris came down the stairs. Instead of her long black boots, she had on a pair of dilapidated moccasins with a few beads remaining on the toes. And between these and the ends of her pant legs were blue socks. The pants were fawn colored and she had on a fresh white shirt with the sleeves rolled up. Her curly hair, cropped nearly as short as a boy's, was brushed and shining and her hard, sallow little face was carefully made up and completely blank. Whether she was happy or disturbed, well or ill, Joanna could see no stranger would be able to tell. Well, what about supper? She asked Sandy. Ah, calm yourself, he said. I'm cooked tonight. It's all started. He took her hand to draw her down on the sofa, but she moved away and pulled a cushion off a chair and lay down on the floor, her feet toward the fire, and her hands folded like a child's on her stomach. Phil had gone into the next room and now came back carrying a lighted lamp. It dipped wildly in his hand as he set it on the round table beside the other one. The room shone in the, in the low, beneficent light. Sandy, leaning his head against the high carved back of the sofa, humming and strumming, now sang aloud in a light, sweet voice. For I'd rather hear your fiddle and the tone of one string than watch the waters a-gliding hear the nightingales sing. The soft strumming went on and the soft voice accompanied by Chris's gentle crooning. The fire snapped. Phil handed round some glasses and then went round with a bottle of whiskey he'd found in the kitchen. He paused at Joanna's glass, smiled at her and poured her a very small portion. If I ever return, it will be in the spring to watch the waters a-gliding, hear the nightingales sing. The old song died on a trailing chord. That's a lovely song, said Joanna, and then shrank at her sentimentality. But Sandy said, yes, it's nice. My mother used to sing it. She knew an awful lot of old songs. He picked out the last bars again on the guitar. Joanna, sitting beside him on the floor, was swept with warmth and comfort. Oh my God, the peas, Sandy said suddenly in horror as a loud sound of hissing came from the kitchen. Throwing the guitar down on the sofa, he rushed to rescue the supper. Joanna and Chris picked their way, the two girls, toward the privy that adjoined the end of the barn nearer the house. They moved in a little circle of light from the kerosene lantern that Chris carried, the batteries of Sandy's big flashlight having turned out to be dead. 
They were both very full of food and sleepy and just a little tipsy. Chris had taken off her socks and moccasins and Joanna her leather sandals and the soaking grass was cold indeed to their feet that they had so lately been that had so lately been stretched out to the fire. Joanna had never been in a privy in her life and when Chris opened the door she was astonished at the four neatly covered holes too large and on a lower level too small everything was whitewashed there were pegs to hang things on and a very strong smell of disinfectant a few flies woke up and buzzed chris set the lantern down on the path and partly closed the door behind them there was something cozy about the privy and they were in no particular hurry to go back to the house. Chris lit a cigarette and they sat there comfortably in the semi-darkness and Chris talked. She told Joanna about her two years in college to which she'd been made to go by her family. But Chris's love was horses, not gaining an education. And finally, she left and begun to support herself as a professional rider. I'd known Sandy ever since I was little, she said. I used to hang around him when I was a kid and he let me ride horses and everything. And when I left college, well, he got me jobs and sort of looked after me. He's a darling, isn't he? Joanna said dreamily watching the dim slice of light from the open door and the mist that drifted past it. Well, sometimes he is, said Chris. And sometimes I wish I'd never seen him. Oh, no, cried Joanna. Why? Well, because he's got so he takes charge too much of the time, you know, Chris said. At first, I was crazy about him, and I didn't care. But now, it's gone on so long, I'm beginning to see I'm handicapped in a way. Well, that's what I think, anyway. Everybody just assumes I'm his girl. And he's got a wife, you know. And he won't leave her, ever. And then, he's not here a lot of the time. But the worst of all is that he's spoiled me. Everybody else, they seem kind of tame and young. So you see, it's a mixed pleasure. Joanna pondered a little fuzzily. She was not at all sure what it was that Chris was telling her, but she felt she was being talked to as by one worldly soul to another. And now Chris was saying, he said that would happen. And I didn't care then. He said, I'm too old for you, Chris, even if I was single. And this way, it's hopeless for you. But I didn't care. I didn't want anybody or anything else. And I, well, I just plain chased him. And now, I don't want anything else either. 
So, it is hopeless. I hope you don't ever love anybody more than he loves you, said Chris. Well, I've, I've never really been in love, said Joanna bravely. Well, you will be, Chris said, lighting a second cigarette. The little white interior and their two young drowsy faces shone for a second in the flash of the match. First, I thought you were coming here because you were Phil's girl, but I soon saw you weren't. Oh, no, cried Joanna again. He's just the brother of a friend of mine, that's all. Yes, said Chris. He always picks racier types than you. Racy, hmm, thought Joanna. I wish I was racy, but I'm too scared. I've seen some of his girls, and not one of them was as good-looking as you are, Chris went on. But they were all very dizzy. He has to have that, I guess. He's so sort of restrained himself with that family and all. I went to a cocktail party at his house once, and it was terrible. Cheapers! <laughs> and she began to laugh. Vulgarity is what he likes then, said Joanna to herself. Perhaps I like it myself, though I don't know that I know what it is. Perhaps my mother would say Chris and Sandy were vulgar, but they don't seem vulgar to me, though I'm glad mother isn't here to hear their language. Oh, and some of Sandy's songs. She gave it up, as Chris said with a yawn. Oh! We'd better get back. And they went toward the house. As they did, it loomed up above them twice its size, the kitchen windows throwing low beams of light out into the fog. Still, there was no wind. In the heavy night air, nothing was real. Not even Chris and the lantern and the corner of a great wall near the house. Joanna was disembodied moving through a dream on her bare, numb feet to a house of no substance. Let's walk around the front, she said. I love the fog. Okay, said Chris, and they went around the corner and stopped by the lilac bushes to listen to the stillness. But suddenly, ooh, the dampness reached their bones and they shivered and screeched and ran back to the back door with the bobbing lantern smoking and smelling in Chris's hand. When they came in, Phil looked at them fondly. Oh, dear little Joanna, he said. She's all dripping and watery and vaporous, like Undine, the water spirit. What in God's name have you girls been doing? Oh, talking, said Chris. We'll pull up to the fire. Sandy said. What did you talk about? Us? Yes, dear, said Chris. We talked about you every single second. Joanna's very subdued, remarked Phil. Did you talk her into a stupor or what? Joanna doesn't have to talk if she doesn't want to, said Sandy. I like a quiet woman myself. Hmm. Do you know, said Phil, laughing at Chris, who made a face at him, and 
and sat down beside Sandy and gave him a violent hug. Joanna, blinking, sat on the floor with her wet feet tucked under her and listened vaguely to the talk that ran to and fro above her. Her head was swimming and she felt sleepy and wise in the warm lamplight and with the sound of the bantering voices which she did not have to join unless she wanted to. Suddenly she heard Phil saying, you know, Joanna, we've got to start along. It seems to me you made a rash promise to your family that you'd be home early. It's nearly 10 now and we've got 30 miles to go. Oh, oh, he yawned and stretched and bent to knock his pipe on the side of the fireplace. I don't want to go, said Joanna. Oh, then stay, said Sandy. There's plenty of room. But Phil said, getting up, nope, we've got to go. They'd have the police out if we didn't come home soon. Joanna's very carefully raised, you know. I love Joanna, said Chris, hugging Sandy again until he grunted. I don't care how carefully she was raised. I love her. We all love her, Sandy said. You haven't got a monopoly on her. Come again. Stay longer, will you, Joanna? We love you. And you look so nice here in this horrible old house. They really do like me, thought Joanna, pulling on her sandals. But not as much as I like them. They have a lot of fun all the time, so it doesn't mean as much to them to find somebody they like. But I'll remember this evening as long as I live. Sadly, she went out with them to the station wagon, following the lantern, and climbed in and sat on the clammy leather seat beside Phil, calling back and being called too. They drove away, bumping slowly over the little road. And in a second, Chris and Sandy and the lantern were gone in the fog. Joanna let herself in the front door and turned to wave to Phil, who waved back and drove off down the leafy street, misty in the midnight silence. Inland, the fog was not as bad as it had been near the sea, but the trees dripped with the wetness and the sidewalk shone under the streetlight. She listened to the far away sucking sound of Phil's tires die away. Then she sighed, closed the door, and moved sleepily into the still house, dropping her key into the brass bowl on the hall table. The house was cool and dark downstairs, except for the hall light, and it smelled of the earth in her mother's little conservatory. Joanna started up the stairs, slowly unfastening the belt of the old trench coat she'd borrowed from Phil. The drive back had been a meaningless interval, swinging in the night, with nothing to remember but the glow of the headlights blanketed by the fog so that 
they had had to creep around the curves and down the hills, peering out until their eyes ached. Soon after they'd left the farm, they had stopped in a small town while Joanna telephoned her family. Through the open door of the phone booth, she had watched Phil sitting on a spindly stool at the little marble counter next to the shelves full of westerns, drinking a Coke. She had a Coke herself and sipped it as the telephone rang far away in her parents' house, while back of the counter, a radio played dance music. And twice after that, Phil had pulled off the road, once to light his pipe, and once for Joanna to put his coat on. But now, moving up the shallow carpeted stairs, she was back in the great, cold, dusty house with the sound of Sandy's guitar and the smell of the oil lamps and the night, the real night, wide and black and empty, only a step outside. Upstairs, there was a light in her own room and one in her mother's dressing room. It was a family custom that when she came in late, she should put out her mother's light. So now she went into the small bright room. With her hand on the light chain, she looked around her at the chintz-covered chase lounge, the chintz-skirted dressing table with family snapshots, both old and recent, arranged under its glass top, at the polished furniture, the long mirror, the agreeable clutter of many years of satisfactory married life. On the walls were more family pictures covering quite a long period of time, enlargements of picnic photographs, of boats, of a few pets. There was Joanna at the age of 12 on a cow pony in Wyoming, her father and uncle in snow goggles and climbing boots on the lower slopes of Mount Blanc, heaven knows how long ago. Her sister and brother-in-law looking very young and carefree with their bicycles outside Salisbury Cathedral. Sometime in the early 30s, judging by her sister's clothes. The world of the pictures was as fresh and good and simple as a May morning. The sun shone and everyone was happy. She stared at the familiar little scenes on the walls with love and with a sympathy for them she had never felt before. And then she put out the light and went back along the hall. In her own room, she kicked off her sandals and dropped Phil's coat on a chair. A drawn window shade moved inward and fell back again in the night breeze that rustled the thick, wet trees close outside. Her pajamas lay on the turned-down bed with its tall, fluted posts. Joanna did not stop to brush her teeth or braid her hair. She was in bed in less than two minutes. In the darkness, she heard the wind rising around Sandy's house breathing over the open hill, whistling softly in the wet, rusted window screens, stirring 
in the apple trees. She heard the last burning log in the fireplace tumble apart and a horse kick at his stall out in the barn. If I'd stayed all night, she thought, in the morning when the fog burned off, I'd have known how far you could see from the top of the hill. For in the morning, the hot sun would shine from a mild blue sky. The roofs would steam. The horses would gallop and squeal in the pastures between the great walls. And all the nightingales would rise, singing out of the short, tough grass. That's the end of the story. <laughs>